This is the Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Magda Kay for the first time. Welcome to the Family Electric Ghost podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Want well, to let people know we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that icon up there. It says "Listen on Newsly." For those in the audience that use coupon code Ghost, you can get one month free premium subscription on that platform. That is an audio-only platform, and again, we are a featured podcast. So later today, the audio version of this podcast will be on Newsly. So I want to let people know that. And this episode is actually episode 994 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast, tracking out on Apple Podcasts since 2016. And today we also have your website, madgakay.com. That will be fully clickable when we're published right now. It's not anything you can click through. But if you go to https forward slash forward slash magdakay.com, you'll be able to click through that when we're published. And so for the audience, if they click on that, what will they find there? Well, I would say it's the hub of everything that I've ever created and that I'm doing. So from you know, information about me, uh, all of the services that I offer. So we have coaching, online coursing, uh, courses, membership site. Uh, you're going to find information about my book, um, how to contact me, lots and lots of, so basically everything. If you have any question, you can go there. And if some question is not answered, you can just use the contact form and message me. So everything, this is, this is like the Bible of everything. That's awesome. Well, we like to make sure that our audience, um, uh, looks at the URLs that we provide. And as, as I said, they're clickable when we're published. Mm. And right now we're on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. And when they were published, people will be able to click through there. Plus every other podcast platform where I'm all, almost all the major platforms that exist for podcasts. So we'll be able to choose which one with a landing page later. So this episode, we're going to talk about the art of seduction. Now you're an intimacy expert and a tantra teacher and speaker. And you're on a mission uh, to help individuals um, experience more love, pleasure, and intimacy. So maybe you can talk about your background, give the audience some uh, insight. Absolutely. I want to first start by saying massive congratulations, like 994 episodes. That shows some commitment and passion. I don't think we see it often in our times. Like seriously, I think people are used to starting something and dropping it after a year. This is massive. Like seriously, personally, massive, massive, massive uh, um, congratulations. Very impressive. And so it's even more amazing to be able to be a part of this show, joining this probably massive family by now. So thank you for having me. And yes, so um, as a job title, um, I am an, an intimacy coach. And of course, you may wonder what exactly is it? So what I really do is I take the teachings of, teachings of sacred sexuality, mostly Tantra. So if you think of Kama Sutra and all the ideas around sexuality that come from the East, from India, I take these teachings and I translate them into the Western mindset. You know, I lived on a small tropical island for a decade and I did some, I would say, questionable things <laughs> on my path to learning everything. And I don't think that everyone needs to do it. So my mission is to bring this teaching and translate them into something that's practical. Um, it's simple and that can really fit into the lifestyle of any person. So if you're busy and you're spending most of your hours working, you can still use these teachings. So that's the mission and that's what I do. 
And I guess, yes, the second question is like, how did I get into this? People are so curious. You know, the small talk when people ask you, so what do you do? And then anytime I get asked this question, I'm just like, okay, let's take a deep breath in because I'm sure <laughs> it's not going to end there. <laughs> yeah. So personally, you know, I, I never thought that I would be doing this as my work. Seriously, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if you asked me, you know, I thought I would be in marketing because that's where I started. I studied business. I studied marketing. I worked for Procter & Gamble. I worked for Raven. That was my path. But, mm -hmm. you know, during this path, I lost a relationship because I struggled to orgasm. And in fact, because of all my background stories, like I was raised in a household without a single example of a happy couple. So I grew up extremely cynical mm. about love. You know, when I saw people like couples together, I was like, oh, gross, not true, not real. I don't believe in it. I don't want it. Seriously. So I got into my yeah. first relationship yeah. when I was 27. So really late. Um, and this is, you know, when I couldn't hide the fact that even though I enjoyed physical intimacy, I was not able to orgasm. And he was taking it very personally. And eventually we just drifted apart. So it was a really big mass, you know, um, wake up call for me. And I even remember my housemate, just she looked at me and she said, Magda, this is your thing to figure out. We're talking like 10, 15 years ago, because now when you go Google Tantra, you're going to find information. Back then, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. But I heard yeah. the word Tantra. I was like, I don't know. I heard something. They didn't really know what it is, but I knew I wanted to go in this direction. So I started searching and asking, and I found my way in. And so I went into Tantra for my own healing. And while healing myself, I discovered my life purpose, that this is really, you know, I feel so deeply about this work. I love it. I see the transformation. Like, I know this is my work. You know, that's how I got here. I think a lot of people probably struggle with intimacy because, um, you know, at least uh, some people are kind of given these limiting beliefs, like based on whatever, you know, their social situation. I was a sociology major in college. Mm -hmm. You learn about the microcosm and the macrocosm. So in the microcosm, it's like your family, your family histories, your social, really close-knit groups. And if you're coming from a like a social structure that doesn't believe in, in, in kind of free, a holistic freedom, that they're very narrow-minded and they think you're like very stoic and that you should especially with women sometimes they're like well there was this concept of well you shouldn't even go there mm -hmm. like the, that's not even anything that you should deal with because there's some kind of, you know sometimes there's a uh you know religious beliefs that say you can't even go that way uh in terms of being being uh you know into like intimacy and, and sexual pleasure they think like it's frowned upon so if you if you in that mindset then you, you're like well you're gonna have this like limiting belief you can have like the ceiling and you might not even ever explore it because you feel like that's not so that's not anywhere i should even try to go is that, is that kind of what happens with with people from your experience it does and you know the funny thing is because of course sex is going to be a triggering conversation you know money politics sports sex bring it right <laughs> so i understand mm -hmm. it brings different reactions so i definitely have seen all of these reactions and i get even like on on youtube i get a lot of comments um from people saying like 
so on one hand, we have people who say like, um, you're overcomplicated this, like you're overcomplicating this, you know, sex is just two bodies rubbing against each other. And I'm just like, well, if that's really what you think <laughs> that sex is, it's like, oh, uh, so we have, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have yeah. that when people just feel like it's just what it is. It's just physical. It's just to release stress. So they're not even making space that this can be a deeper experience. That's on one hand. Um, on the other hand, I have absolutely experienced people who feel like we shouldn't even talk about it. Like, like you mentioned, it shouldn't even be the conversation. It shouldn't be somewhere we're looking at. And I'll tell you, I used to live in Southeast Asia. I literally actually just moved out of Asia uh, in June, so a few months ago. And I spent a lot of, uh, qu quite quite many years in Malaysia, which is a Muslim country. So through being there, I, of course, naturally um, understand the Asian cultures. And so I get a lot of clients uh, from this region. A lot of clients come from India. And something that happens uh, quite often is that one partner wants a better intimate life but their partner was raised, you know, in a very conservative family and an environment. So bringing mm. anything up to the spouse, there's just no yeah. response. You know, it's no like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you'll say, hey, listen, like, I would love for us to like experiment. And then the spouse responds, what for? That's, and <laughs> that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. So people have a lot of blockages. Um, and I do believe that we can assist people in this process, but ultimately everyone has their own timing. And so you can't force anyone to open, especially intimately. Uh, but there are massive blockages, massive blockages that start, you know, in your head, with, in your head, in your mindset. If you think that it's not important, like so many people think that intimacy is not important. Um, if you're scared, if you're terrified, if it's a taboo, it's really going to be difficult. So there's still so much we have to dissolve, like collectively, for the humanity to be yeah. able to relate in a deeper way. But sometimes it's like, sometimes you like, you get this idea of a relationship or marriage or long-term commitment. And then if, if you were with a partner that that's never going to change, like at some point, sometimes people get to a point where they realize their inner child, that they get to that limiting belief and they get beyond it. And then it's like, well, they're not the person they were five years ago anymore. And if, if they, they got in a relationship with that person five years ago and that expectation was that they were on the same page and suddenly they're not, if the other partner is not willing to work, but sometimes you're not on the same path anymore, right? Sometimes it's like you try to make things work. You're like, you, I think you, people want things to have some kind of uh, resolution, but there are some situations where you come to the realization that it's not going to work with this person. Is that, is that is that a situation you find out with some people? Look, and I think probably personally we've all been there, <laughs> not just professionally, but also personally. Um, it is, it, it's a sad reality. So in my opinion, there are two things, like the most important things, there are two things that determine if the relationship will last and if it's going to be a good one. Two things. Number one is being a team. Right. So like me and my partner, we are a team. It's sometimes like us against the world, you know, like my partner is on my team. They're not the enemy. So that's number one. And number two is being willing to do the work. So if any of these two is missing, this relationship is not going to last long or it's going to be a bad relationship that only lasts because one of you 
self-sacrifices nonstop. It's going to be in a healthy relationship. So this concept of wanting to work on yourself, I think is essential. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll be working on it like simultaneously and following the same mm -hmm. timeline um, because usually, you know, you're going to get pulled in one direction, your partner in the other. So I think also making space that we're growing like individually, which allows us to grow the relationship. That is also important. We have to understand that we're not always going to be on the same path. Mm -hmm. But when one of the like one of the partners is just not interested in doing the work, it's like there's nothing to look at. We're fine. That is usually when things start spiraling down pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, intimacy is such an important part. You know, to me in a relationship, being a, being a songwriter, a lot of times men, we they they kind of typically men don't like to express their feelings, but if you're a creative person. You start to find, like you know, a lot of times as a, as a creative person, we we get into the muse, we we get pulled into like the sacred feminine. I can kind of get in touch with my feminine side, in terms of creativity, and so I'm willing to kind of push things to like the bleeding edge or the cutting edge of like not not the kind of conversation that a typical guy just wants to talk about sports, he wants to talk about the weather, he doesn't want to get into anything deeper than that, right? Doesn't want to really go there. But if you talk to people who are more artistic, we're willing to go in places that some men aren't willing to go. And I think like if you've opened up your mind to more like uh, less narrow thinking, more kind of holistic thinking, more like, why can't you do this? Why can't we talk about that? Like, why, why don't, why can't we get outside of our lane? But sometimes a lot of times people are stuck. And I find a man, a lot of men are stuck, but you could maybe tell me about how, how women are stuck too. But I find that like, typically a lot of men don't want to go in certain directions because it's not comfortable for them because it's like what they've been told they don't need to go there. Yeah, I love what you said about men who are creative, who write or create music. I think it's such a beautiful space for a man because indeed, like you said, you, you have this um, space to connect to you can call it a muse. She can be internal, external, like, you know, it can be God, it can be a goddess, it can be your partner, it can be your inner feminine, but you have to be in an intimate relationship with that energy, with that entity to be able to create. Like anyone who's ever created anything, like create creativity, creation comes from depth. And depth is literally the definition of intimacy. So when you meet people who are so unwilling to go deeper in a conversation, you know, they're not creating much in life. They may have a lot of money. They're pushing. They may be pushing, but there's no depth. Like the things that they create, they, they're not life-changing and they don't last very long because they're, they're like the essence. So I think it's beautiful what you're sharing. And um, I mean, I personally feel that, you know, everyone should have some activities that allow us to create because surprisingly, that process may feel a bit safer. You know, there's a difference between me opening up to my partner and being extremely vulnerable and me opening up to this creative genius or like the uh, the idea, right? The, or the muse in whatever mm -hmm. way we want to we call it or, or we experience that. Um, it's not as threatening, I would say. So it can be a great outlet um, for men and women to start connecting deeper, right? Not yet with another human being where I could get rejected, but I'm learning to be intimate. 
and I'm learning yeah. what it's like when intimacy flows through me and I get to create. And you see your creation, like with your music, like you see like, this is amazing. Look, look what's coming through me because I go deep. Like the deeper I go, the more incredible this work is. So I think it's a great space for anyone to start practicing intimacy and the beautiful results and the benefits of being, you know, intimate. Um, but just to speak to what you what you shared, I feel it's a bit different for men and women because women in their way, I would even say they they're praised for, you know, for being intimate, for being emotional, for being open. Men have, you know, traditionally been praised for the opposite. Right. As in like, don't show your emotions. So I think being intimate is difficult for everyone. But on top of that, men have this conditioning from the society that you shouldn't cry, you shouldn't be weak, you know, you, sh you should always be strong. So you are told not to be intimate. So I think for a lot of men, there may be this extra layer that they have to break through. Yeah, because it's the vulnerability. I think this is what I find when I deal with a lot of, you know, people who are creative, whether a poet or a photographer or a painter, is that the ability to, um, to lose the fear of rejection or I made a mistake or that's not perfect. Part of being an artist is that you have to be willing to take what's inside and show some vulnerability and be able to show that like, you know, there's going to be people who don't like it. And some people will never take the step of showing anybody anything because they're scared of what everybody's opinion is. But with a creative, <clears throat> creative type of person is there, they're willing to have that vulnerability out there. They'll put yes. it out and, and they're willing to kind of handle it. Now how they handle it is, you know, another issue, but, 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 but when you are able to show your vulnerability, that I think that gets you closer to the intimacy because you have to be willing to, you know, potentially get hurt. You have to be willing to have your feelings hurt or people criticize it or, you know, not, not like it. Cause a lot of times when you put something out that's new, initially people reject it. Like almost all the great creators who are very innovative. The first time they put something out, they people that, well, that's no good. That's not great. You know? And then later it gets appreciated and suddenly they get respected, but it's always that, that thing. Like if you tell somebody something very personal, like, well, they, they might say, well, they would, that's well, that's not, that's not normal. It's like, well, yeah, of course, everybody's individual. Like, not everybody's trying to be the same. <laughs> I, I love what you said about the element of vulnerability. So um, my mom, for example, she paints. She loves painting. But she is absolutely unable to put herself out there. So she's never sold. I mean, maybe she sold like five paintings in her whole lifetime, but it's more because like someone asked, but she just, she's unable to promote herself. And so she's missing out on such incredible opportunity, you know, and I think it's what you said when you put any creation out there, like this podcast, right? Like I have my YouTube channel, so I record videos, I put them out there. Uh, if I want to do a webinar, I'm risking that no one will sign up <laughs> or three mm -hmm. people will show up. There's always a risk of getting rejected, but that is the price we get for living an actual fulfilling life. You know, like for me, to be honest, like my definition of happiness is fulfilling your potential. I think there's nothing more painful than knowing you're capable of more and never doing this, never using your talents. I think to me, that's the biggest pain. But the price for that is I need to put myself out there 
And yes, some people will reject me. And so in a way, I think the skill, I see, I don't even like using the word vulnerability because I think these days when you say vulnerability, it automatically implies that you're going to get hurt and rejected. And it's not to say that you will, but mm. putting yourself out there and knowing yeah. that you're going to get different feedback. Sometimes it's going to be positive. Sometimes it's negative. It's the same with love, right? If we want to be in a relationship, well, you're risking getting rejected. If you want to have great sex life, you need to talk about it, ask your partner. And yeah, you're risking hearing that, oh, you're crazy, but you may just as well get all of your fantasies um, realized. Like that is the price for having our dreams come true. And so there's one quote that I really like, and I may be butchering it a little bit, uh, but the quote goes like this. A bird doesn't sit on the branch of a tree because it trusts in the strength of this branch, but because it trusts in the strength of its own wings. So there is a certain, you could call it resilience or strength that each person can develop. That when I get rejected, I know I'm going to be fine. Because that's where we get to yeah, build. Kind of, yeah. yeah, I think that's the response way. Like uh, I was dealing with some, um, it's interesting. I was dealing with a classical musician. And I assumed because they're so skilled that they could get into like a jazz situation and kind of just play off the cuff, just play without being told what to, what to do. But because they're so into reading off the page, they weren't comfortable with free form improvisation. And I'm like, they wanted to know what they were going to play. And I'm like, well, in this kind of scenario, we just play what we feel. And so we don't really have a plan other than we kind of play off of each other. And, and they had a very hard time with that because they weren't willing to kind of let go of, of control, the, right? the control of, oh, I'm reading this Chopin piece. I'm reading this Beethoven. I'm reading this Bach. And I know exactly where, where it goes. Exactly. I have some yeah. leeway, but I have to know exactly where it goes. And where you're, if you're an if you're an experimental musician or a jazz fusion musician, you have a structure, but you can go into dissonance and you can come back. You can go into chaos and you can come back. And you and you learn there's no bad note, there's no wrong note. You play off of each other, and it, each note is an opportunity to expand the piece. And over time, the piece expands and it changes. And it depends on how you feel, or how the audience is, or what the room is. And so it's a very in the present moment and you have to trust yourself and you have to kind of lose the fear. And so you have to kind of have those wings to be on that branch, you know, to be able to do that. If you're not, if you have to know where every step is, then you, you, you just get too much anxiety. You can, you can't do it. And you're killing creation because I, I like what you said, you know, any form of improvisation, you co-create. And if we think of human relationships, it's always co-created with another human being. There are no two identical relationships because we're all different. All of your relationships, they're different. All of mine, we're different because it's co-created with someone else. So if I come with a very like you know precise idea of how I want things to be, I am not allowing for creation, right? It's, I'm, I'm literally killing the creative aspect. So I'm killing intimacy. You cannot go into something, you definitely cannot go into a relationship or a sexual union with an idea of how you want it to happen. Like allow life to surprise you. And sometimes it's going to surprise you. Hey, that hurts. But 
the more, again, like we said, the more, like the stronger your wings are, the more space you're making for those surprises to be freaking amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess I want to dive into Tantra and and the benefits of practicing it. And just a good preface is like, I got into Eastern philosophy. I'm a um, Nishiren Daishonin um, Buddhist, which is a um, Japanese form of Buddhism. And I also lived in Japan for two years, back from 2004 to 2006. And so I've had a lot of exposure to Eastern philosophies. And I like the holistic nature of kind of comparing, you know, different points of view and so not and so maybe you can talk about tantra in terms of like trying to you know get people to understand what it means and the benefits of it yeah um so tantra first of all is a spiritual path um which means that it is meant to bring certain depth to your life um it doesn't mean that you have to believe in god but you have to understand that there's something more than the physical experience so even, you know, I tell people often, you don't have to believe you have a soul, but even our science recognizes we have electromagnetic field. Like sometimes you touch someone there's like, ouch, right? Yeah. There's something, we know <laughs> there is something. Um, so we can call it aura or whatever you want. So it's in a way required for you to recognize that life is more than just the things that we perceive with our senses. And that's really where a lot of intimacy lives. It's when we incorporate that element. So. While we have practices like Buddhism and yoga, they are quite, um, you could even say masculine, and they're, they're mostly about quieting your mind and stilling your energy. So Tantra is kind of opposite to this. Tantra wants to activate this energy, like let's get moving. So in Tantra, we still use breath. Uh, we use movement, we use sound, but our intention is to move the energy. And, um, you know, without like adding things that maybe I shouldn't be talking about. But if you have ever tried certain substances that put you in the state of high ecstasy, um, what you're feeling is like you are beyond your physical body. So what Tantra offers are techniques that allow you to get to those states without taking anything. So, you know, mm. taking something has massive, 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 like negative impact on your body. Here we're talking about practices that give you like the same feeling of ecstasy at the end. And it's actually good for your body. So that's kind of, that's, you know, what Tantra mostly is about. Now, these days, um, we call it Neo-Tantra or Modern Tantra. So Tantra has been a little bit like adjusted to be more practical for people to help them enjoy beautiful romantic relationships and better sex. So that spiritual aspect is not as present in a lot of modern teachings, but I think it's good to remember that that's where it comes from because... Mm -hmm. Tantra has always used sex because of how much energy we uh, activate during, during lovemaking. Um, and it used sex as a way to reach God. So you know how people can meditate to reach state of enlightenment. You can actually experience this through having tantric sex. So that's kind of like the principle about it. Now, I do understand that most people these days and vast majority of my clients are not interested in enlightenment but they are interested in having better relationships. So you don't have to be as um, disciplined with your practice, mm. but there's so many different practices and tools and techniques that everyone can just incorporate into their life uh, that really do not require a lot of effort or time that really change um, the dynamic of your relationship. And even if you're single, let's remember one thing, intimacy, always exist in relation to something. 
So intimacy is going to exist between me and my partner, but also between me and myself, between mm-hmm. me and God, between me and nature. So there's always a relationship. But you don't have to be in a relationship with another human being. You have always the relationship with yourself and with nature and with God or spirit, universe, whatever you want to call it. So everyone can be cultivating intimacy, right? Yeah, everyone well, that's like the, I think that, that a lot of times you talk to therapists or life coaches, they always say they kind of like, if you don't have self-love, you can't really love anybody else. So so if you have to kind of start from there, right? Because if, if you don't love yourself, how are you ever going to get to intimacy? If you've got this hang up where you don't think you're good enough and you don't think you're, the, if you have all these limiting beliefs, then that's going to prevent you from ever opening up. And then if you don't connect your mind to your body, to your spirit, to your heart, and you think everything's separate, I think a lot of times it seems like Eastern practices try to like align the inner and the outer and the mysticism and, and, and logic and like, and, and open up. And I think like what you said at the beginning, like creative people have a way to connect the inner and the outer. They like, we go into this thing called like um, the flow state. Like when when, I've talked to writers and poets and painters and musicians, sometimes we get in this flow state and I I, I believe they have measured, you know, artists that they, the endorphins that are being produced when they're in this flow state, if you're in that state of, 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 you know, painting or doing that music or acting or doing anything creative, you start to feel good. Like when you're in that moment, if you're in that present moment and you kind of let go, it, it seems like you're producing endorphins and you feel happy. You feel, you feel good. Like, like, like you're in this, like you're, you're creating that substance with your own actions rather than some external input. So now I'm going to add something here. So in Tantra, we work a lot with sexual energy and what sexual energy is, if you think of it, it's the creative force because that's the force that creates life. It's the ultimate creative power because it creates life. So any form of creativity is actually us being sexual. It's us using sexual energy. There are just different ways of channeling it. So life is all about creation. If you think of it, it's all about creation. It's all about being alive. How can I stay alive? How can I create more life? It's always about more and more and building and expanding. So it's our creative energy, which is the sexual energy that is responsible for that. So when we are creating, we are in perfect alignment with nature. It's like my goal, my purpose, my direction is the same as of the whole universe and of nature. So when you're in this beautiful alignment, there's no resistance with life. Like resistance causes a lot of stress and pain and disease. But when we're aligned, there is this, what you said, the state of flow. And it feels so good because that energy, it wants to move. Frustration is stuck sexual energy. Mm. Anytime we feel frustrated, it's a sign my sexual energy is stuck. This energy always wants to move. Not necessarily through sex, but it wants to create. It wants to move. So it can, you know, play a song and just dance or jump. Move the energy. And so when you're creating, what are you creating? Sex? What are you creating? Baby? What are you creating a house? What are you creating a song or a book? Life flows through you. This is why we feel mm-hmm. so good because this is the ultimate state of feeling alive. 
that makes a lot of sense because what I've talked to a lot of um, artists and they have felt like the the birthing of a piece of art, they've related it to like sex. And when a lot of poets, like if you read a lot of the Victorian poets, they talk about the concept of little death, which is like a, a euphemism yes. for orgasm. And they would talk about it in the Victorian area. They would say little death instead of saying orgasm because they didn't want to get in trouble with the religious people. But they they were talking about it. And it's inherent in the creation of their pieces of work that the actual poem is like the little death. It's like the poem is the orgasm. And just like the mu music is is like that. And so it feels like it's it feels like you're in the same mode. And I think that's why you probably a lot of artists feel when they're on stage and they get off stage, it's like, wow, I have all these this adrenaline and endorphin. I feel really good. And then they come down from that. Mm -hmm. And then that's the problem is they, they get into issues because that two hours of playing got them into this state and then they come off and it drops. So how do they handle that? You know, they have to find ways to manage that. You know, now today, you know, compared to the 60s and 70s, we found more healthy ways to manage that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just it's like you have to realize it's there. You realize like, like, what, what's happening. And some people didn't like were unconscious of what's happening and did not know how to handle it. I think you, you, you have to be like aware of your the moments in your life of what's going on so that you can make the right decisions. I love what you said. And I just want to also bring the parallel here that that's also what sex is. Sex is these two hours on stage where you feel great, but then you come back into your daily life. And often it's exactly because we go so high, then you drop low, then you don't really know how to deal with that. And, and understanding these phases and these cycles, like everything in, you know, in, in nature moves in cycles, like nothing is steady. And so when you understand, oh, I'm, I'm writing the cycle, I create and then I have to contract, like like seasons, right? If you think of it, um, we're now, you know, entering the winter season. So things are closing down. So then they can open and kind of allowing that expansion and contraction, just understanding that's how it works is really helpful. Because like you said, if I create something, it's like pff, massive expansion, massive openness, just feeling so high and so alive. But after that, there's always a moment when we go down a little bit. You know, a lot of women experience depression after giving birth because here I had something in my belly. Now I'm empty. This feeling of emptiness when you birth something. So, yeah, mm. absolutely what you're saying is being aware of the process so I can navigate it. It's essential. And I think this for me, this like circles back to our conversation about vulnerability. So if you think, for example, of giving birth to a child, there is a very high price that comes with that, like very high price. One of this is also feeling down after giving birth. If I go on stage and I was building up for this, the price that I may be paying for this also is that when I'm off the stage, I may feel down. So when we talk about vulnerability, that I may be rejected, that is, again, the price I'm paying for that creation. If we say that an orgasm is a little death, and in Tantra, for example, we have practices of semen retention for men, and it comes from this concept that when you ejaculate, you lose your life force energy, and you know, you're know you losing, losing, losing literally what keeps you alive. So if you think of this, I actually love this as a concept. Um, so to make a baby the parents need to die a little bit. Like I yes. give part of my life force to the baby, right? That, that's the cycle of life. 
And I think it was, it's with birthing everything, with the song, with a talk, with a book. There is a little death in me. And sometimes that death is that maybe someone will reject me and I will feel like I'm dying because that's part of the process. That's part of the creation. It's, it's not meant to feel all beautiful. There will be a price. There will be a certain sacrifice. And in a way, me being vulnerable is like, yep, I get it that there will be a price and I'm okay with this because whatever I'm birthing is way bigger and way more important than the occasional pain that I can, I can feel here and there. Yeah. That's why I was always interested in what like Lord Byron and Tennyson, when they talked about the little death in the Victorian era is they considered like, well, there's this big moment. And then it's like, you're taking part of yourself and you gave a part of your life force for this romantic thing. I mean, these are romantic poets and they're talking about romance, but then they had this idea, like you said, of little death. So they understood there were that consequence that you just eloquently talked about. And I don't think a lot of people get that because a lot of people when like, when I was learning about that in school, people looked at that and said, oh, that's weird. They didn't really take, they didn't really like dive into it. But like at me being an artist, I looked at that and I've continued to take that concept of little death. And it's like in my work, pervasive in my work because I started to go really into all sides of it. But a lot of people look at it and like, I don't know what that means. And they didn't think about it. They, they didn't want to think about it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what they were getting at because they don't want to take the time to to dive. Because then they, you, if you start to ask questions, you sometimes you don't want to hear the answer. That's what I find with people. Like you start to ask questions and you don't want to hear the answer because then it makes you have to think about well, what are you doing in your life? No, absolutely. And I think, you know, being a creative person, what you are familiar with, and even though I don't like the word, I'm going to use it, but you're familiar with struggle. If you look at humans, we are comfort. Like we're based, you know, we're basically, we're, we're a domesticated homo sapiens, right? So I always tell people, you know, I love cats. I'm such a cat lady. Look at your cat at home and now compare it to a lion. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between being wild or being domesticated? domestication brings a certain benefit that wild animals don't have and that's comfort meaning pleasure because we feel safe i can just relax feel comfortable and experience pleasure wild animals have very little pleasure because there are very few moments when they can just let go and not think whether anything is going to attack me or kill me so the big benefit of us humans being domesticated is that we get to experience pleasure and comfort but we love that pleasure and comfort so much, we are absolutely unwilling to put up with any hardship. And I think it's getting a bit like, and like everything, it goes in cycles. So we see this throughout the history as well. There are moments, you know, the saying that um, tough times uh, create hard people, like uh, tough people, tough people create uh, easy times, easy times create weak people or weak men, yeah, weak yeah. men create. Yeah. You know the cycle, right? So yeah. we're definitely in a phase where we've been weak. Like our, you know, my generation, the one after me, you see, we are weak. We are like, you know, if someone tells you anything negative, you're like, take it so personally because we lost that resilience. Um, so yeah. I think, yes, it's like if if you hear the weight, there's a price I'm paying for sex. I don't want to listen to this because sex is for me. It's about my pleasure. It's about what I want. I'm not going to listen to anyone that tells me that there is any price that I may be paying for that, or maybe I should be more mindful about having sex. 
because that's not about all pleasure. That's not about hedonistic lifestyle. And so I find that especially these times, these generations were not very open for that. But I think, again, it moves in cycles. It moves in cycles. And I don't think sexuality was necessarily a conversation that was present before. Now, because more and more people do talk about it, I think um, people are slowly becoming more aware and more open to the fact that, yes, there is a prize for having sex in an unconscious way. Because, again, Tantra gives us uh, tools um, the same with Tao, right? Tao, uh, Tao practices. We have the tools that allows us to conserve the sexual energy, move it through the body, last as long as you want, have energy, full body orgasms that don't include ejaculation. All of it is possible, but again, to get there, it requires work. I teach this. I have courses for this. I teach men one-on-one -on -one how to do this. And very often men are like, wait, so I just went through your course and it's not yet happening. It's like, no, because you have to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, nothing happens. Like, we're such into instant gratification. You know, yes. I think it's into like, I want this 10 step thing to happen. And I'm like, when people talk about 10 steps or five steps, I'm kind of like, because uh, what I feel is like, there's always incremental development that's going to continue. And the only way it's sustainable is if you continually do it until you're not here. The idea that you could do five steps and be done doesn't make a lot of sense to me because like I, in my day job, I'm a, I'm a software developer and we used to have this idea called waterfall and waterfall. We'd have to have the whole thing. And if we didn't have the whole design then we couldn't do it. But now today we have this idea called agile, which means we do incremental building and we're never done, which is that mm -hmm. you'll see an example is like you're on your phone. How come it keeps on updating all these apps because the apps aren't done because whatever we didn't know, we keep on fixing. And so we're never done. We keep on changing it. 1.1, 1 1.5, 1.0. So my mind set as an artist, like I continually create until I'm not here and I'm never going to be fully done. I'm always going to be, but a lot of people think there's like, well, there's A to A to B and it's done. No, it's like, you know, it's like infinite, you know, you're kind of never yes. done. <laughs> it's like this finite and infinite game, right? It's like, it's like we, we, we think a lot in like zero one, or like black and white, but that's not how life works. We don't have these extremes. It's all the spectrum. You can always do more. You can always be better. There's always more. There, there's no end. And I think, uh, I do understand this can create a lot of um, tension and anxiety when there's no end. Because you're like, when am I going to arrive? Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's no there's Hard. no end line. But I think uh you know whether meditating or just like contemplating on the fact that there is no end point and you just keep going and keep going until you die and if you believe there is another life then you don't even stop at death. They really don't um, stop there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, be, being more familiar with the concept that there is no end point. You never arrive because you can always move further and further. I think learning that this is how life works, I think can really bring a lot of, uh, can really calm us down and really like relax a lot of anxiety that I think people are having. Well, then it takes failure is not as bad a situation. Cause I don't really look at it as failure. Like why I call it is happy accidents. Like in, in, in a lot of times today, there was some of the music doesn't feel as authentic as it did in the past. And the problem mm. is, People are inside of these computers, these things called digital audio workstations, and they're trying to make everything totally perfect. 
BPM beats per minute. Perfect. And what I found in the past as a producer is like, if you listen to older music, they what are called microtonal and micro rhythmic uh, errors because of human. If you're a human, you're not going to be a perfect beat machine. When you play that instrument, you're going to have little gaps, but those gaps are what makes the song what it is. If you use a computer and it makes it perfect, it sounds perfect, but it becomes antiseptic. It doesn't feel authentic because it's not a real human being actually playing that instrument. It's doing it exactly on the beat. And that might be interesting, but after a while, it doesn't have the pull of something that was done by a human drummer or a human bass player or a human singer that's not perfect voice, right? That has changes in their voice. That's actually beautiful. The the actual accident or the mistakes, or they're not really mistakes. It's like, it's just being authentic. And people are so, so scared. Love. They're so scared I, of making I, mistakes. I so they don't want to do it. Yeah. They don't want to do it. And it's like, to me, it's like, that's, like if you take the authenticity out and you say, well, AI is going to create the song, then it's going to even get worse because it's going to take everything that was already done and repackage it. Mm. Well, that's not really new. It's just taking things that were already done and known because, oh, that got a billion hit views or a billion plays. So does that make it good because it got a billion plays or is the thing that only got 5,000 plays actually more authentic? And if you say, well, you can't even have that in the environment anymore because you can only have things to get millions of plays. And I, I think that becomes a bad uh, uh, place for artists to be, you know, or even creators to be in a world where you can't have imperfection or, you know, incremental development. You have to come out the gate and hit a million. So I just want to bring, I love what you just said. I absolutely love it. And you're right. Like things made by humans, when it's clear they were made by humans, have different value. They just land differently. Uh, and in fact, perfection doesn't feel good because it feels off. It's artificial. So if I take this into relationships, it's the same. Like us being afraid of being vulnerable, which means that I'm trying to be perfect because I don't want to get in any way rejected. That That perfection, like you said, it doesn't feel good. People don't want perfection. The fact that we're human, that sometimes we make a mistake, that, yes, sometimes, I don't know, I'm going to lose my shit or I'm going to be not so nice or I, I'm, I'm going to break. Like, that is what makes the whole experience so unique and so much more fulfilling, right? So just allowing yourself to be vulnerable because that is what makes your song, aka your relationship, so much more interesting, so much more beautiful and so much more memorable. Yeah, because everybody's looking for this, like, oh, if I find my soulmate, this perfect person, it's going to complete me. But, like, if you are not solving your inner child, right, that soulmate's not going to solve that problem. Mm. Right. So some people are thinking that this soulmate's going to, this perfect person, when they meet them, it's going to solve them. And it was like, that's not going to really happen because you're, you're never going to be perfect. So there's no one else that's going to save you. You have to kind of be, you know, in alignment or connection that that together you're going to go forward and you you deal with your past, but you can't expect somebody else to like fix you. Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I remember uh, one of my first trainings and uh, my teacher always said that when you ask for a soulmate, remember you have multiple and 
well, at any given time in your life, you're going to have a different soulmate. So if right now I'm a total psycho bitch and I'm just like really difficult to be around, my soulmate means that he's going to be matching that. That's not <laughs> yeah. cool, right? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like if, if I change, if I evolve, then my soulmate, which is someone who's matching me, is going to be different. <laughs> so if, if, if you're like a really difficult person to be around and you never looked at your things and your patterns and you think that someone is going to come and it's magically going to be perfect, no, because they're going to reflect you. They're going to be your soulmate, just maybe not at the level that you want it to be. <laughs> The other thing we we talking about, about like um, femininity, but also there's a there's a question you like to be uh, asked is like, uh, and I've heard this today a lot from certain people is like, are women too masculine? But I always mm -hmm. feel pre preferences is like I think everybody has to find like uh, the the male or female within them, and it's a balance like that, that everybody has a male and female side, and I don't know if somebody becomes more of too feminine or too masculine. It's like maybe it's that point in time where they are, but what's, what's your opinion about that? Cause I know there's some people who say, Oh, we, people are being too feminine or being too masculine. What, what's your take on that? Mm. So to me, this is a really big conversation because I feel that it's a very complex topic and we are trying to answer it with really limited understanding. So First of all, um, we often hear that, oh, feminine, masculine, it has nothing to do with gender roles. And yet the way we discuss feminine, masculine has everything to do with gender roles. So um, why, for example, is it that um, riding a motorcycle is not feminine? So I, for example, I ride a motorcycle and I do CrossFit. And I heard so many times from people that this is not feminine. So the question is like, why? Well, the reason why is because traditionally in our society, men are the ones who are physically strong. So if I do something that shows that I have a strong body, it's considered not feminine. But it's not really about feminine. It's about the gender role, that I that am is. stepping into the area that traditionally belonged to a man. But it's not that I'm not being feminine. Okay? Now, this, for me, it's a valid conversation because I feel that absolutely everyone wants to feel needed. And so men traditionally felt needed through certain channels, like paying for a woman, providing, lifting heavy things, etc. So now if a woman is taking care of this, men feel that they're not needed. Like, I don't know if you've ever held this, had this feeling, but if someone doesn't need you and you feel that you're not needed, like think, for example, if you work for a company and it's very clear they do not need you there, it's a horrible experience. So of mm -hmm. course, when we go into relationships, we want to feel needed. So I think the first challenge is that men need to find new ways how they can be needed. That's not going to be about yeah. money and it's not going to be about physical strength. But I would also say that if a man considers that these are the only two ways how he can be needed, you're really not seeing your full potential. That's a very limiting um, view yeah, on what limited. men can actually provide. Well, I think the man in that situation, they give... If you're thinking you need to be the strong man, you need to be like Superman, it's like, well, you know, maybe you need to be more empathetic and more, uh, you know, a little more vulnerable or emotionally available. If you're, then you can be needed if you chose, but if you think those things are feminine and you don't want to be feminine, then you're stopping yourself. It's not, it's not, it has nothing to do with like, if the woman you're with, is on a basketball team or they're a runner and they're really, they're stronger than you. Like 
you're not as strong as they are. And then you get intimidated because they're you're not physically as fit as they are. That has nothing to do with them. It has something to do with you. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like you could come at it a different way. But if you think the only thing you could be is like you have to be, you know, six pack abs, you have to have this capability, you have to have that, you know, this overman, superman idea, Nietzsche kind of thing. It's like, why do you have to do that? You don't have to do that. But if you're yeah. you're trained to do that, then that's what you think the problem is. I don't think the problem is is like riding a motorcycle or being CrossFit or or or, or playing on a football team or what if if you want to do what you want to do, you got freedom to do whatever you want to do. It has nothing to do with me or you. Yeah. And, like, and like, so I would say definitely, yeah, definitely there's a conversation about the gender roles, which I think no one wants to call it gender roles because we want to be politically correct, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll give you another also um, a comment on this because, of course, this conversation, in fact, I would say that this conversation really came from the tantric community. Because if you think of like um, relationship uh, uh, counselors, like mar marriage counselors, uh, sexologists, they they didn't used to like use these terms, feminine, masculine, not like, not like that. It really is something that mostly kind of started coming from the East. Mm -hmm. So we talk about this feminine, masculine energy, yin and yang. So mostly what we say is that the feminine energy is the passive energy, that it's the energy that surrenders to a man and the man is the leadership, right? Well, not exactly. So this is why I'm saying people are simplifying a concept that's way more complicated. Um, if you studied Buddhism, probably you, you've actually came across it. So there's a higher level of this polarity. And the way we look at it is that we have consciousness and that is Shiva or the masculine principle. And this consciousness manifested into the physical reality. So the element of manifestation is the feminine principle consciousness is masculine meaning consciousness is the pure stillness death for example is consciousness so it's masculine and any movement is feminine mm -hmm. so it's not passive state you having business goals and working really hard for your business goals it's movement yeah, that's, that's feminine energy moving in the western world they don't see it that way <laughs> i exactly. think it's, it's the western point of view has kind of missed that. And also the goddess concepts have kind of forgotten that, you know, in humanity, the goddess concept over the God male, the male form God is like, there were more female, they were female gods and the female goddesses and they had power and people respected that power. But then exactly. you have to shift to like disrespect that or act like there's no, there's God There's only like a male God. There's no female God and you lose any of that power associated with that level if you're not at that god state you know you can be goddess so if you're goddess you have power if you if, if the if the movement is feminine then a ceo is not on feminine you know yes exactly but look <laughs> even the tantric community like at least the modern teachers so not someone who like spent you know 20 years in an ashram really diving deep into these teachings but someone who you know went for like a yoga retreat in india and now they're a tantra teacher <laughs> there's a lot of us i would say <laughs> but a lot of people who um haven't uh explored the depth of of these teachings also just repeat the same um the same phrase but it's still putting people in a box so yeah. here's what i say for me the feminine is about expression so 
who do I want to be now? How do I want to express myself? And if right now I want to do CrossFit and lift weights, that's what I'm doing. If next time I want to just rest, that's what I'm doing. That flow is feminine. And you'll see that a woman who's feminine, it's a woman who's really alive. He's radi- she's radiant. It's not that she's mm. passive. There's a lot yeah. of passive women who do not feel feminine. Feminine is the radiance. It's again, it's this sexual energy. Life force energy flows through her. So she's active in life. Now, masculine energy, it's about that stillness, which what it actually means practically is that I know who I am. Right? I have the, I, I'm centered inside of me. That anchor, that's the masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, in Tantra, for example, and in yoga, in fact, in shamanic practice as well, we talk about elements and we work with elements and we have water, air, fire, and earth. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that what we actually, we mix these two, uh, these two systems because we think that water and air is feminine and earth and fire are masculine, but these are four elements. So you have fiery women, right? Which will feel yeah. masculine and you have watery men which will feel feminine, but it's because it's not about masculine feminine. It's just a different expression. It's a different way of being. And if you think that you're more feminine, I would just ask yourself, especially for men, I would ask yourself, do you know who you are? Do you know what your purpose is in this life? That's where masculinity shows. And if your answer is that, yes, I know what it is. And my purpose in life is to write poetry, or is to build teams because I love human resources, then that's your masculinity because you know what your gifts are and you use them. I would say that. But but I don't think there's such a thing as masculine or feminine gifts, not the way we present it. Yes, there are gender roles. And I think, you know, if you look especially at tribes, you see that those tribes work because they have a very defined roles. We've really shaken it up in the last, you know, few, few generations. So we're finding again how can i be needed and that has to be that has to be found because right now no one is needed men say i don't need a woman a woman says i don't need a man great that's why we don't have relationships so that has to be found but i think there's a conversation which is the gender roles and i i don't think we should be afraid to call it what it is and then the masculine feminine which is a bit of a different concept from what i think a lot of people make it yeah i think I think it's like it was probably as people want to be black and white, you know, they want to just say yes, no. And there's a lot of gray. And so like, you know, the concept of Gaia is earth, but they feel it's feminine, but like the other concepts could say, well, you can find the masculine in it. So it's like, there's a lot of things that kind of bleed into each other. There's a lot of things that it's not one way or the highway. Right. And the problem is people get in this box and they say, well, masculine is this. And it's always a CEO. It's got to be like Bill Gates and, you know, Steve Jobs, like, they can't, they can't imagine it like, oh, you know, Taylor Swift, the CEO of her corporation, that is her, that's her, and she's running it. And there's a lot of female CEOs of big corporations, they don't get the press that the Bill Gates gets. But, you know, the problem is, is like these mindsets of, of thinking mm-hmm. that things have to be in this box. And that's why I like the idea of expansion. Expansion means you can cross, you can cross into different things. If you have an expansive mind rather than a narrow mind, you're willing to look at things that challenge your belief system and think it's okay. Like you can have a discussion. I think too many people are in these boxes where they can't even have a relationship because they're like, well, I don't need them. They don't need me. 
like why don't you look at what works <laughs> instead of what doesn't work <laughs> yeah absolutely you know well, i think we're, 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 oh, we're kinda, the time. <laughs> yes. yeah we're sorry about because i do have another podcast and we we, we, we can keep on talking maybe we should have another one but it's what i do i really enjoy this conversation I want to let people know you can go to magnak.com. That's clickable. And yeah, we'll probably have you come back. And we were talking a lot. We have a lot <laughs> of things we can keep on talking about. But I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been fantastic. And I wish I had more time. But um, uh, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I totally loved it. And yes, it would be amazing to be back. Yeah, have, have a good day or good night. <laughs>